We are It's More Than Just a Chant. We are inspirational creators, difference makers, world changers, and we are one community. Join alums Jared and Ross as they uncover stories of Penn Staters and their unique professional and personal journeys. We are Penn State, and this is Lion Legacy. All right, episode number 34 of Lion Legacy. It's the, uh, you know how I like to make my obscure references. This is the, for those that were Penn State football fans in the early 2000s, this is the Omar Easy of episodes. How do you Omar like your Easy, eggs? Number 34, Penn State running back. How do you like your eggs? Omar Easy. Good memories. That's a name maybe we should find out what Omar what is he up to. I don't know. And bring him on the podcast. We Put it on the list. King. Put, Put it, it on, on the list, Jared. Put it on the list. The list is actually now pretty long because I mentioned to you a few months ago that we have a partnership with Katie O'Toole, who's a professor at Penn State, her podcasting class, which we joked back in our day, there was no such thing as podcasting nor a podcasting class, of course. That's right. Make, us feel, Twitter. make, us, make us feel older, Jared. <laughs> exactly. There wasn't Twitter. There wasn't Facebook. Nothing social media, right? Social media. Uh, so now you can take a podcasting class. But it's been really great. Thanks, of course, to Katie, who you know, heads up the class, does a great job. And uh, we had a lot of fun. I had a chance to speak to the students virtually about what we're doing here at Lion Legacy. And they went out and they found us some great guests and then came up with some great questions for our guests. And uh, yeah, it was a great excitement for them to get some real world, real life experience, right? Most of the time in yeah. class, you're doing things that never see Yeah, it's like, reality. you know, out of the textbook or the virtual textbook. Yeah, exactly. So this is... The first guest from Professor O'Toole's class, podcasting class, and got to give credit to Zach Gershman, who's a student in the class, who suggested we speak to EJ Johnston. There you go. Hey, Jared, imagine how much better we'd be if we had a podcast, if we had taken the podcasting class. We're out here like a bunch of amateurs. Come on. That's true. Yeah. Maybe we should go back to Penn State. What do you think? There you go. We could do it. What was the, was it like you audit the class, right? Where you just take it for no credit? Yeah, let's go up there, spend the semester, tell Jess yeah. that you'll be away for a few okay. months. Yep. We'll move into a apartment, just the yep. two of us. You know, they made a movie about that about 20 years ago. <laughs> Old school, true. right? We won't go streaking, though. No, no streaking. No streaking. Nobody wants to see that. Hey, EJ Johnson was great. Just a what a sharp guy. Excellent background. He walks us through it. He's been in all different industries. He's heading up a hockey league, for lack of a better term, called Three Ice. It's a really cool format. He's going to tell us what's involved, how it got started. That's starting up this coming summer. And it seems very exciting. We spent a lot of time going through the details of Three Ice. So we'll talk about that. A lot of hockey talk in the beginning. And then we dive into his background before it, which is interesting. Excellent background and used a lot of those skills skills that he built up over his early part of his career to bring him where he is uh, today in in the sports business world. Now let's get the power play going with EJ Johnston. All right, let's welcome EJ Johnston, 1995 graduate with a degree in economics and a minor in business administration. For all you hockey lovers out there, EJ is CEO and founder of Three Ice. Prior to creating this new league, EJ spent time in various sports and entertainment roles, including at Fox Sports Network, IMG, and Getty Images. EJ, we're excited to drop the puck with you here on Lion Legacy. Oh, thanks, guys. It's nice to be with you. Appreciate it. Yeah, great. You know, you're actually our third guest in the hockey industry. We actually started off 
with Doug Bennett, who is the head athletic trainer of the Carolina Hurricanes. Okay. About what, maybe 10 episodes ago, we had Joe Batista, which I'm sure you know that name. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Penn State hockey legend that he yeah, is. Yeah, for sure. And now you. Clearly, we're both big fans of, of hockey and excited to, to get to know you a little bit more. But I got to ask, before we get into the discussion, anytime I see a name with initials, I'm always curious, what does it stand for? I used to make people guess, but for uh, efficiency's sake, <laughs> uh, and I, it was usually a fun game, but it's Edward Joseph Johnston Jr. is the full name. My dad sometimes goes by EJ, but most of the time he'll introduce himself as Ed. But I was EJ since day one. Literally in the incubator, they labeled me as EJ on the, uh, the side of it. I was not going to guess that. Probably <laughs> would have been going on for quite some time. Here's it, Jared, with the uh, hard-hitting questions to start off. Yeah, know, absolutely. Right? <laughs> yeah. Tough, tough journalism. Um, so we all have a reference to the National Hockey League as far as professional hockey goes. But you're certainly leading up three ice. So tell us about it. What is it? How does it differ? How did it come about? Yeah, the inspiration is multifold. It's certainly the NHL's overtime session is in there for sure. Some video game, the NHL EA Sports video game is in there playing uh, that with my nephews about five, six years ago. Some of the things that we're doing in that. But there's a bunch of snackable leagues out there that we really drew from. So in my time at IMG, uh, a colleague of mine launched the Indian Premier League sort of the short form version of crickets. Sometimes those are five, six day matches. They boil it down to a two hour version. Big three is in there. Formula E is in there. Rugby sevens is in there. So it's a perfect storm of the NHL's overtime, those things. And what I saw as a really a made for uh, TV format, we think we've iterated and built a better mousetrap guys. The golden goal or the sudden death format now that you see in the NHL is great. I love it. It's the best part of hockey. That's our tagline. Fans start, you know, warming up their hands in the last minute or two, and it's a tie game, hoping for overtime. So we thought, let's make that our full-time format. Craig Patrick, our league commissioner, says it's overtime all the time. And we've got two eight-minute periods of running clock for a game. And like rugby sevens, we're going to roll game after game at you. So in an evening at a tour stop, we'll have six games coming at you all in the course of about three hours, each one of them 16 minutes. If we have to go into a tie situation, we'll have a one-round shootout. We won't have a power play or four-on-three. We'll go straight to a shootout there. So it's really a combination of all those things and what I really wanted to see. And quite honestly, it's about 10 to 15% of the video game that the three-on-three version is in there. So it's just a confluence of a lot of things. And we thought it would make for a great made-for-TV experience, certainly in the arena as well, because you got six winners, no ties, Lots of action, hair on fire, hockey, track meet. And so we're excited about the format that we've got. I, I love this. So I will have to say I'm, so I'm, a, I'm a huge, actually, Rangers fan. And I, I, I could actually say that this year because they're doing <laughs> they're well. They're good. Ross is a, yeah, exactly. Finally. Ross is a big Flyers fan, so he probably won't be talking too Double much. Double boom. Yeah. <laughs> but I have to say I was watching a Rangers game a few weeks ago, and I texted my buddy who's also a Rangers fan. It went into overtime, and I was like, we need this all the time. This is the most amazing hockey. That's it. High speed, everything that you want to watch. I'm like, wait, why hasn't this been created? And then we come across you. So perfect timing. Yeah, it's a great way to express yourself as a hockey player. Fans love it. The ability to try the difficult dangle because there's not that many consequences because you got man-on-man defense in three-on-three. So guys really take chances. They try the dipsy doodles. They try the fun stuff, put it between their own legs, go around guys. 
it really is a full creative expression for the game. And we're recruiting players now, signing them up. I won't reveal any of them just yet, but they start just their faces light up. We do Zoom calls with them and they just get so happy when they start talking about the game. It's just great to see them light up with the enthusiasm for it. They want this so badly and it's a great platform for them, but the fans are really in for a treat. We want them leaving the stands saying, wow, what did we just watch? That was incredible. And we think we've built that. And so we are excited to showcase that for them. I won't uh, ask you in terms of names, but I'm curious, like the three-on-three basketball league that you see, sure. that's usually, correct me if I'm wrong, players who have retired and yeah. kind of legends. Is this gearing towards that or is it more on the, the younger spectrum? Yeah, it's the on the younger spectrum. Okay. We are not the senior tour. And, and look, I think those guys have done a really nice job in a lot of hosts of ways. Personally, I'm a fan of Ice Cube from uh, many parts of his career. And kudos to him. He's in his third year. I think they've done a nice job. But we're not the senior tour. We have three profiles. So we've got the ex-NHLer that's stepping out of the league. He's probably 30 to 35. He stepped out of the league in the last year or two. Still great hands. Doesn't like to play the five-on-five game anymore. He can't really do it, but he wants to extend his career. That'll be about 50, 60, 70% of our player population. The next chunk is uh, the North American guys that are overseas lighting it up in the Swedish league, the KHL, the Finnish league. And they want to come back home either to... Uh, continue their careers or they see this as a great way to stay in shape and really display their skills and maybe improve their lot when they go back to Europe. Bigger contracts. A lot of these guys are in their final years of their contracts, so they want to see if they can improve their situation. And then the third category, which I'm really excited about, the young guns, guys coming out of school that just haven't gotten a sniff from the big leagues, but in a three-on-three format would absolutely blow minds. The 5'8", 5'9", 5'10", 180-pound guy with great hands, but he's not going to go into the corners and smash it up with Pareko or Zdeno Chara. He's just not going to do it. He can't do it. This is the skill set for him. And I'm really excited. That's about 10 to 20% of, I think, our player population. So that's our three player profiles. Heavily ex-NHL. Most of the guys in Europe will also tick that NHL box. So we might end up being about 75 to 80%. And then these young guns, I can't wait to see what they do. We're excited. We're excited. Nice. That's fantastic. And give us a bit of an idea. You created this league in 2017. What's it been like the last four years creating a kind of a league from scratch? It's not easy. Yeah. So the origin story, if you will, was watching all these snackable leagues do their thing, but then going to the training camp, the rookie camps for the Pittsburgh Penguins and the New Jersey Devils. Both were great, but I'm sitting at the Penguins one with my father, Craig Patrick, Billy Guerin, most of the scouting staff. Looking over into the crowd, there's 2,000 people in this practice facility cheering on unknown, for lack of a better word, no-name players that are trying to get invited to the rookie camp. And these guys are dangling and doing all this great stuff. And I turn to Billy Guerin and a couple other guys. I say, what are you looking for? And they're, they're, the adjectives just left off the page. It was like looking for speed, creativity, rapport, risk-taking, great hands, hockey IQ, and it was just the, the relish in which Billy Guerin and these guys were speaking with these adjectives. And I'm looking at the crowd and I'm thinking about Big Three and Formula E and Rugby Sevens. I go home that night and I start writing the business model. It took me about a month and showed it to my father. He gets it, showed it to my mother. And I knew if she got it, then everyone would get it <laughs> and started picking around. I spent about a year and I went to all these different constituencies. Fortunately, in my career, it's been diverse. And I've had the ability to go and talk to television executives at the networks, friends at the NHL or the NBA or other sports leagues, and have every kind of constituency, coaches, players, 
Bobby Orr, Brian Trottier, my father, old players, young players, and made sure that I wasn't imagining what I thought I saw. And really the business model today is about 90, 95% of what it was in that first draft. We tightened it up. We made a few iterations and changes, but it's really, really close to that. Spent the next year building a team. People are the most important part of any business. Got the right people in place. Some of my old bosses from Fox Sports, Craig Patrick, we had a list of one for our commissioners. My dad, I said, do you think Craig would do it? He goes, I think he would. Call him up. He said, yes, he understood. Got the television contract. CBS got it right away. They quote unquote bought it in the room. As we say in Hollywood, if you pitch something and they say yes in the room, that is pretty rare. They got it. They said yes. TSN, RDS, same thing. We're going to announce an international television deal soon. Contract isn't dry yet, so I'm not going to announce it just yet, but we'll be in 185 countries around the world, plus U.S., plus Canada. So we had partners that got it. We had great people behind us. And then we went out and got the best and breed partners in the vendor space. Getty Images, Ross Video for our television, Van Wagner for our live event production. Cobbled together. We were going to get this thing going uh, before COVID. And then obviously plans had to change. But it was really a three and a half to four year journey. And um, got some great partners on the financing side as well, of course. But really, it's been a, a labor of love, muscling through a challenging 12 months. And I get up every day. I'm excited. If you can be, if you would do this almost, some version of this for free, that's probably a good sign that you're in the right space. And of course, if you can get someone to to invest in it and pay and fans to, to monetize it for you, then you're at something special. It's been a four-year journey and uh, I've enjoyed every minute of it, even the hard parts. Uh, they've taught me a lot. EJ, you, you mentioned it a moment ago or a couple moments ago about how you wanted the fans to come away from the tour stop with a wow. But for more from a, a business perspective, what does, as you launch the fir- the inaugural season, what does success look like? What can you look at after the, the first season's over and say, hey, we did X, Y, and Z, and that's exactly what we wanted to do? What does that yeah, look like? We have to nail two to three things, depending on if you want to split up the first category. We have to create an excellent experience for our players. They're our product. And you have to create an excellent experience in the arena for the fans. So that's either 1A and 1B, or they could be 1 and 2. And then the third thing that we have to do really well is make sure that translates fantastically on television. Everything else is icing on the cake for the first year. That's the blocking and tackling. Great product, a great experience in the building, and translate that onto television. And we think we've got excellent players, obviously world-class coaches. We've got the best partners to make that happen. But I think on television, we're going to do some really unique things. We're going to be the first league in the world in the hockey space to be from day one using virtual dashboards. That's gonna be a great visual. So goals, highlights, stats, those kinds of things, sponsor information, of course, as well. But that's gonna be a unique look and feel. We're gonna have a cameraman on the ice. We've got a lot of space out there, guys. So we've only got two refs, six skaters. Goalies are pretty much staying inside the uh, the creases, but that cameraman will be in that face-off circle. When we have a penalty shot, he's gonna be panning down, just like you see in the Olympics on a track meet or a swim meet. It's going to be a wild vision. One of the things we're experimenting with, we hope we can pull it off, is if someone in the crowd has a better angle and they're sitting there with their phone right behind the goal or a perfect spot right along the glass, and they want to tweet us the clip that they just sent us, we're going to try and put that into our live feed <laughs> in quasi real time replay packages. Right. That's, cool. That's the kind of stuff that we want to bring to the fans. So our look and feel is going to be very, very interesting. So long-winded answer. I'm a bit verbose, but we nailed those three things really well, and we've got success. The monetization will take care of itself if we do that very, very well. 
Excellent. And so we've talked about it a couple of times. It's a tour. So you've got, I counted eight cities, eight host cities for three mm -hmm. ice. Uh, the tournament starts and ends in Las Vegas. You're traveling around to cities such as Denver, Nashville, Pittsburgh, Hershey, PA, a couple cities in Eastern Canada. I'm not naming all of them, but most of them. How did you, how did that come about? How did you decide on where you want the tour to go? Yeah, we fancy ourselves as a phone first media league or media property in the shape of a hockey league. And so we wanted the fans to be able to touch uh, our brand. So at the first iteration of this, we invited fans to actually chime in. So we had the, uh, what I call affectionately, these two lovable idiots, the on the bench fellas, they're a dumb and dumber in the hockey space, huge in Canada, a couple million followers. And we shot a campaign with them and we invited fans to chime in on the cities. So it's a little bit of science and alchemy, if you will, uh, professional guesswork, and then the fans really chiming in. We want to pick great hockey markets. Hershey's incredible. Denver's Craig Patrick's alumnus. He's an alumnus there. He won two national championships as a player. He was also the AD there. London, Ontario, great building, great hockey fans. Hershey, obviously. We think Quebec City is going to be very interesting for us. Unlike, or not unlike, the XFL St. Louis, when they had 52, 53,000 fans showing up saying, hey, world, we're a legit football town. We know that's a legit hockey city, and I think they might show up and surprise us. We could potentially pack that building. So we want to be in great hockey markets, have the fans input on that. And then we had some expertise, right? So we had ASM Global, our partner, who owns and operates many buildings across North America, chime in on that. It was a little bit of who's been to these buildings, what do they feel like, what do they look like, what are these hockey markets? And we took about a year to process this. And yeah, we think we've picked a great mix, and we like the buildup to the bigger buildings at the end. And we love the message that Vegas sends, bookending it. So we're nine weeks, but eight to eight cities. We just love the mix. And we're, we're looking forward to being in every single one of those towns. I'm excited just listening to you. I, I hope I hope <laughs> to get to one of these tournaments, hopefully when it kicks up. So really Good. excited about that. You mentioned you're no stranger to, to hockey. Your father was a goaltender, later became a, a coach and a GM. Can you give us a little bit of insight what that was like growing up and what you learned about the sport during that time? Yeah, it was a great way to grow up. It was charmed. My favorite thing about that, I think, is being around winners all the time. I like to think that kind of stuff rubbed off on me. Being around a guy like Mary Lemieux or Bobby Orr, the true greats of the business. These guys are my father's peers, coaches, mentors players, these kinds of world-class athletes that just win, you see the sort of work ethic and discipline and effort and skill oozing out of these guys. And that to me was probably the best thing about that. I also just love sports in general and being around a hockey man. My father's a real hockey man. You know, there's very few people that I think are born into or born and do what they are born to do and my father is one of those guys he's just a gifted mind in the hockey space obviously had the physical tools to pull that off but just being around a hockey guy and talking to him and learning talking about the power play talking about talent talking about managing the locker room talking about x's and o's i enjoyed that that to me was an insight i got to be a fly on the wall i you know ostensibly i was learning about how an NHL coach or an NHL general manager does his job firsthand. My dad would come home from the games, sit down to decompress and break down the game for me. And then we'd do it in 10, 15 minutes. I think it was his way to decompress away from the arena, away from everybody else. I'd wait up for him after those games. 
It was just a great experience. I'll cherish that forever. And being around winners and being around a hockey mind like my father's was a real treat. I got spoiled on a few different fronts. So very grateful for that upbringing. Did you play hockey when you were growing up and did you try to make a career out of it? No, no. So I played. I was, as my father says, you're not slow. You just skate too long in the same spot. So uh, <laughs> undersized, definitely slow. I grew up in, as an adult into an uh, above average roller hockey player. That's where I'll leave my skill set. The chances okay. of me even making a high school team back then. I, I was a golfer. I, I played soccer. Soccer was my first love. But golf, a little bit of wrestling, baseball. But to make the high school hockey team would have been a stretch for me. I was about 5'2 until about junior year. And then I think I shot up about seven or eight inches. And then it looked like Kermit the Frog and just <laughs> had no coordination. And then it kicked in and I, I was a pretty good golfer by senior year. But no chance of any kind at any professional paycheck for me in the hockey space. That's all right. You, you got a great business mind. So it's, you. Uh, you know, good direction to go. So, hey, we're going to go a little bit more into your background in sports and production. I understand also you were the first American to produce a reality TV show in China. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Tell, tell us about that. What, how, how that just, yeah, tell us about it. Yeah, no, it's wild. I created a television show. I wrote it on a piece of paper sitting in my very tiny apartment in New York City. There was something that I just felt the fashion industry. I was working at IMG at the time overseeing Fashion Week sales, marketing, and sponsorships there. And uh, really a fascinating world. But I saw this very small ring of folks that influenced who was successful and who wasn't. And I thought, what an interesting way to bypass that kind of ivory tower and democratize this. And Dragon's Den, which was not yet Shark Tank in the States, was a show I was watching in England. And I just thought, wow, you go right to the investor. You've got your idea. You don't have to go through the whole pitching process. Boom, it happens. To me, I thought there was something magic about that process. And to take that, translate it into fashion, uh, I thought was just going to be an incredible idea. So I uh, wrote it down, went out to Hollywood. Uh, it was part of my first business, actually. I bundled up a whole bunch of television rights around fashion weeks around the world. I helped them on the efficiency side, the operations side, sold sponsorships for them. But most importantly, I got their media rights. Took those rights out to Hollywood. Pitched a show to NBC. They bought it. It was a $22 million production, essentially uh, Shark Tank or, or um, Dragon's Den for fashion. Instead of sharks and entrepreneurs, we had Saks, Macy's, and H&M and the designers. Huge hit in the first year. Did it a second year. Usually in TV, the way it works is if you get to that second year, the world loves it and starts buying it. We sold in 154, 155 countries, and China came calling. And I raised my hand and said, all right, guys, I'll go over there. I'll be the consulting producer for it. And this is right around the time that China started playing by the rules in the TV space. Before that, they were really just stealing ideas, trying to make knockoffs. Usually it was terrible, didn't uh, really work for them. They figured out that they had to start inviting people to help them make proper TV. So I went over there and I was there three times. Went over to Shangsha, which is kind of the Kansas City of uh, China, right in the middle of the country. <laughs> it was wild. I'm working essentially for a government television channel. And I'm sitting in front of 30, 40 people a day for about a week or so at a time, speaking in English, hearing it translated. Sometimes I'd crack jokes. Ten seconds later, a whole room of Chinese people would laugh, which I, I enjoyed, and helped them make a TV show. And they blew it out. They had a, It was great. I think it was called Lady Fashion God, I think was the actual translation. <laughs> and uh, they made it for several seasons. I think it was four or five years over there. And that uh, was a huge hit. It was on Hunan TV and then went across the entire country. 
but it was a wild experience. I helped make it in the Middle East. I helped make it for the Germans. I helped make it for the Vietnamese. I went to Vietnam. But before that, there was no American that ever went over there and made a reality television show. They had a couple scripted shows going. But uh, yeah, I was the first guy ever to do that. It was a little bit like being an astronaut. And I remember just sitting in the giant studio space thinking to myself, wow, an idea that I scribbled down on a piece of paper, worked hard for several years to get across the goal line, but really just came from my own imagination, brought me to China. And I've been very blessed in my career. I've been around the world many times in fashion, in media. We're going to do it now in hockey. That was a great experience. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the people. I enjoyed the process. And I was glad to make a, a good show for those guys that they ran with for several years. It was a good thing for the, the brand, myself, and uh, hopefully made uh, some people happy in China. Yeah, what a, what a fantastic experience, both personally, professionally, yeah. right there. And I got to remember the Kansas City of China. That's, yeah. uh, that, that's great. <laughs> Going into uh, the fashion space a little bit deeper, you started the Global Fashion Association in 2007, ran it for about a decade. Give us a little insight in terms of what that venture was all about and some of the highlights there. Yeah, my career very quickly started out in advertising, went over to Fox Sports, sold media, went to IMG, helped them build their fashion week, got hired away by Getty Images, spent more time in the fashion and film space, and uh, really saw that the fashion space could borrow a lot from the sports space. So one of my first uh, ventures when I left Getty Images, uh, I basically built the same business model as Formula One. But instead of auto races around the world, I bundled up all these fashion weeks. So I said, hey, listen, I had about 35 of them at one point. There's about 50 or 60 around the world. They're usually twice a year, fall and spring. And I went out and said, listen, guys, uh, I think I can help you find efficiencies. I think I can improve your operations. I think I can help you sell sponsorships. And I want your media rights. They said, great. Signed all these deals. Did all of those first three things for all of these. They were very appreciative. Again, going to Russia, going to Bosnia, going to you know Asia, going to South America, consulting to these guys. Fascinating experience. And then taking their media rights and went out to Hollywood, as I said. And the first thing that hit was one of my first ideas. And that was an unbelievable process. But as I say, I was a tourist in both. I wanted to come back to sports. I'm a sports guy. I play golf. I watch a ton of footy. I watch a ton of hockey, probably too much. I consume everything. I got back into Penn State football this year. They just sucked me in and I, I just kind of got roped in again. And I just, sports is what I am. I'm a sports man and I just enjoy it. And if I can make a living in it, that's what I wanted to do. The light bulb moment that we talked about earlier happened. We've been running with it and so far so good. That's great. We actually had someone on from IMG as well, Lisa Benson from IMG Models. I don't know if that name rings it, a bell. It is vaguely familiar. So when I was there, a gentleman by the name of Chuck Bennett, and oh, I think Ivan Bart, if I'm not making him. So, uh, so okay. she reports to Ivan. Okay, great. Yep. Ivan was second in command while I was there. And then it was clear that someday he'd be the boss and uh, good guy. We were definitely very friendly. I'd go in there every now and then and you'd be sitting in the lobby waiting for the boss and Naomi Campbell would walk in or Heidi Klum would sit down next to you and you'd get a little sweaty and <laughs> like, just don't say anything. Just be cool. Be cool. And, Play it uh, cool. She Play might even cool. chat you up. She might even chat you up and you're like, Okay, cool. It was a wild experience working at IMG, sitting in front row of fashion weeks. The whole world was there, literally the whole world. It's celebrity, it's media. Everyone from every nation comes in. There's three, 4,000 media that descend upon that thing. It was a wild ride. I really enjoyed it. But yeah, Ivan Bart, he, he does a very good job over there. I'm glad he's still there doing his thing. Yeah, fantastic. 
We have a, a great partnership with the Daily Collegian. I'm sure you remember picking up that paper sure. during uh, your time at Penn State. And each week, students submit questions for our guests. And this week, Nolan Hinfey wants to know, what advice would you give to aspiring entrepreneurs in the sports industry? Yeah, I think it would apply uh, to any category. But the biggest bit of advice I would give you is muscle through your doubts. If you believe you've got a target that you can hit that represents value to some group somewhere, muscle through your doubts, muscle through the hard times. You will have days where you take two, three, four steps back. But if you believe in the target, keep muscling through that, believe in it. Sometimes you'll fail because of uh, poor planning, things you might, you know, poor decisions, bad luck, market circumstances. But most of the time, if you aim yourself at that and muscle through it, you'll get to your target more often than not. So my, my best advice to anyone it really is muscle through your doubts and keep your eye on the target. I love that advice there. So we're going to actually start talking about Penn State. We're going to put you in the okay. Lions Den, brought to you by our friends at Lions Pride. Just remember, when you want to show off your Penn State pride, visit lions-pride.com for the latest and greatest apparel and merchandise. So EJ, we've really appreciated hearing about your career. So what you're doing now, we're excited for three ice and then you walking us through your career up to that point. But thinking back some years, how did your time at Penn State prepare you for your earlier part of your career and some of these other professional ventures you've taken? Yeah, on? Penn State is, the whole world's there, right? You've got an international marketplace. So while you have a large percentage of people from the state, Jersey and, and Ohio and a couple of neighboring states, there's four or 5,000 kids that are going there. At the time, I don't know how big it is today, but it was about 38, 39,000 when I was an undergrad uh, at the time. And you got international students. And so from a kid from Pittsburgh, being exposed to that kind of international mindset and, and folks, that was great. But the economics degree, it was hard work. I was an excellent student. I was an A, A plus student for most of my high school career and crushed it in pretty much every class at Penn State. You get into third, fourth year economics classes, you got to learn to grind. Econometrics, wow, that was graduate <laughs> level stuff. I was sweating. I'll tell you a little secret. I was in the Bryce Jordan Center. I think we were the first event in the Bryce Jordan Center. It was my graduation. My family's in the crowd. I was not 100% sure my diploma was in that bin when I went to go get it. I did not. I was not sure I got a C or better in my econometrics classes. The last semester I was there, and I think I got like a 76, 77%. So you had to get at least 70 in your major to, to, to qualify. And I was sweating. Uh, I was not sure that I, I got it. But the hard work, the international marketplace, you have everything available to you. It is a world-class university. The library is great. Student life is great. Uh, you need resources. It, it's all there. I'd go and talk to the deans of the business school, and they'd take appointments with me. Sometimes it was to think through things. Sometimes it was to complain about a class. There might be something going on. And I was like, hey, why is this guy teaching his class on video? Come on, let's, let's get the guy in you know, class. But I just loved it. You had international experience, really tough curriculum, smart people there. It was a great place to spend three and a half, four years. I, I loved it. It was great. Speaking of tough, this is probably the toughest question of them okay. all. Favorite Penn State memory? I think it's pretty easy walking into Beaver Stadium for the first time and it being packed. It wasn't a whiteout, but it was bananas. So that was the year we were 12 and 0. Kerry Collins was a quarterback. I'm forgetting his first name, but Bryant, the tight end. We had three guys or four guys go in the first round. The center, the quarterback, Kajana Carter. It was fantastic. So that's probably the best one. 
and I'll give you a sneaky one. I, I played a lot of basketball. I was decent at basketball. I was a pretty good pickup player. And uh, every now and then I'd sneak into the game where the team, the football team was playing. And I was guarding Kajana Carter and I was giving it to him a little bit in the back <laughs> and turned around one time. So you do that again, I'm going to knock you out. He's like, yep. All right. So I, I backed off a little bit. I, discretion is a better part of valor. I made a business decision and eased up on him. If you could go back and visit with yourself as an 18-year-old freshman, kid from Pittsburgh, going to Penn State, just starting out, what advice would you share with yourself? Probably let my hair down a little bit more. I, for me, my background, my folks were blue collar. They didn't go to university. It wasn't part of that generation. It, it just wasn't the means. My father had a scholarship um, to Michigan, but did not take it and went straight into the pros and started doing that. But they were just not going to go to college. I was lucky enough to have parents that would pay for most of that. And I was not going to disrespect them by letting my hair down and partying too much. I probably could take my foot off the gas about 10%. Uh, I wasn't in a fraternity. It wasn't necessarily what did I do. I wanted to go and have my studies with a priority, but I went to a lot of fraternity parties because a lot of buddies in it. So I would say to myself, relax about 10% and and have a little bit more fun and, and experience a little bit more of that. But I, me, I, I never missed a day of class until I think senior year. I missed, I think one, possibly two, my entire time in college. I was there to learn. I was there to consume. I'm a bit of a sponge. So my advice would be just have a little bit more fun. Take, take it down about from 11 to about a 10. Excellent. And hey, uh, how do you feel most connected to the university these days? You stay in touch with anybody from administration or athletics or anything of that sort? Um, to me, it's probably through the football team, either casually or as I said this year, I got sucked in. Yeah. Um, that to me is something I'm proud of. I can brag about that. I also talk about the hockey team. I I'm really excited that they have a D1 team there. So I track those guys pretty good. Sure. I've got a couple of really good friends from Penn State that I made while I was there. So we keep in touch and we talk about Penn State quite a bit. It was nice to get pulled back in from the business side and those that team reaching out from the business school and the journalism school to try and cobble together a, a partnership. Uh, that was nice. I've always felt connected to it. I've always felt it's a very proud thing that I, I was part of the Penn State culture. It's a world-class university. Almost everywhere you go, you can mention it and people know. So it's an important part of my history. And I think through the teams, football team, the uh, the hockey team, and a little bit through my friends that I made there is how I feel connected to Penn State. I also have a sweatshirt that I'm very lucky to have a, a fiance who's uh, a little bit younger than I am. I'll leave it at that. And I have a sweatshirt that is tattered and disgusting and I'm never going to throw it away. And it's about as old as she is. And so that is another <laughs> connection to Penn State. I bought it the first week I was there. Uh, brand new, I remember going bike riding, fell into a giant puddle, got it completely brown for two years. Wasn't going to get rid of it. That's another way I'm connected to the school. And uh, I was wearing it yesterday. I love it. That that is a first right there. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Well, th this has been fa fascinating, and I, I gotta say, you talk around be around the winners. That really stuck out to me when you said that. And there is no doubt that you are a winner, right? Innovative, creative, passionate, determined, workhorse. For us, just hearing you want them, we're both really excited about the dice. You gain two new fans and many more that will listen. And I think it's it's clear to see because of your leadership, Three Ice will be a success. So we're excited for you. We're excited that you're a Penn State alum on top of it and certainly wish you uh, a lot of success along the way. That's very nice, Jared. I appreciate that. Those are nice words. Thank you.
Hey, Jared, always- Jared, hold on. We've got to plug it real quick. So for the, the yes. those that are interested, it's 3ice.com. That's the number 3ice.com to check out the information for the summer, right? In July, it starts up? That's right. So, yeah, they can uh, sign up to our newsletter. So 3ice.com, and then there's a sign-up link. So put, be part of our newsletter. But, yes, we drop the puck June 18th. June, uh, we're going to have a closed-door event for our tryouts and drafts and all that good stuff a little earlier than that to make sure we got everything tight. But June 18th is week one in Las Vegas at the Orleans Arena. And then we move through the summer for eight straight Saturdays, one hiatus weekend, and we finish on August 20th back in Vegas. It's a great summertime experience. And if we're coming to your town, please check us out. Can't wait. And we always end with, we are Penn State. Lion Legacy is a Baruder production. If you enjoy this Labor of Love podcast, we'd certainly appreciate it if you would subscribe and write us a review on your favorite podcast platform.